Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the first in tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First in tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we We think think we're we're funny funny AF. First in tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstintenspodcast.com. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited today to be joined by the incredible Rennell Brooks-Moon, the voice of the San Francisco Giants at Oracle Park. Rennell talks about being authentic, the power of the microphone, watching Barry Bonds, and the importance of women being supportive and not competitive. She shares invaluable advice and lessons from her 35 years in broadcasting and how things are just a little bit different this season at the ballpark. Don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And with that, let's get to it. All right, Rennell, thank you so much for joining me today. Tracy, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been really excited about this one. Um, I just think it's going to be so fun to talk to you. So I'm just going to jump right in. You are the voice of the San Francisco Giants at Oracle Park. Can you take us on your journey uh, and how you got there? And I know you've been doing it for quite some time. Yeah, I can't believe it's been 20 seasons. I could have never imagined that, you know, my first game in April of 2000. Um, Prior to uh, being hired by the Giants, I had a lengthy radio career here in the Bay Area, um, on-air personality for 30-plus years. I also, um, prior to being hired by the Giants, did some um, sports broadcasting for the Oakland A's, as a matter of fact, back in Mm -hmm. the late 80s, early 90s. So I got to Oracle Park by way of my broadcast career. I was invited to audition for the role of the new PA announcer in the new ballpark uh, in 2000, having no idea they were going to hire a new PA announcer. And uh, I was told that they wanted to hire a woman with broadcast experience because my predecessor was the first woman hired in MLB as a PA announcer for the Giants. She did the final seven seasons at Candlestick Park. So my broadcasting career served me well uh, in terms of being considered for this job and then getting it. That's awesome. And can you talk a little bit about that? Obviously, you said your broadcasting career served you well. Can you talk about how it did that, but then how you had to pivot because, you know, it is two different, two different uh, avenues, so to speak. Well, you know, actually, they're very, very similar, which I was kind of surprised. I mean, taking fans through a game at our home ballpark is 
very similar to when I would host a morning radio show. There's copy to read, uh, you know, there's uh, interactive things I do with the fans. It's, it's very, it's very similar. And the PA announcer is under the entertainment department umbrella. So it's very, very similar to doing a radio show. And quite frankly, I would say probably my first three seasons, I played it very strict. I played everything by the book because I knew, you know, I had extra eyes on me. You know, there was a lot of skepticism. Uh, you know, I was criticized before I even began, before I even turned my mic on in the ballpark. So I just played it really safe, but my style has evolved over the years. Um, so I, I throw in a little bit more of my personality, not often, but just at times when, when it might be warranted during the game, but they're actually very, very similar. And my my PA voice is very similar to my radio voice. Um, mm-hmm. Just try to be my authentic self, um, but yet remain professional and respectful to the sport at all times. So I have a couple things to unpack um, with everything that you just said there. Uh, the first being, you said that there were criticisms before you even started. Can you talk about what those were and how you were able to navigate them and not let you not let them affect uh, your job performance? Well, first of all, Tracy, I mean, this just started in my radio career. Uh, you know, I've always been uh, uh, among the first, uh, you know, woman to do certain things. I've often been the first woman of color to do certain things. So I'm, I'm well prepared to, you know, face and deal with criticism even before I've started the job. That kind of just has just come with the territory of me being a woman of color in two, you know, male dominated industries. Certainly when I started out in radio, there weren't hardly any women um, doing morning shows. Um, So I'm already prepared to deal with adversity, you know, being a a woman of color, but I I will never forget it. I was on my way to my first spring training to kind of learn the job and shadow the PA announcer at our stadium in Scottsdale. And I was reading a, a local paper <laughs> which shall remain nameless, but I, and I was reading this a very popular and well-known columnist who um, said something to the effect of, "Let's hope this new PA announcer doesn't bring that morning show radio DJ twit style to the PA booth." And I was like, "I, I have yet to turn the microphone on, and you're already <laughs> judging me," and I. I believe that were I a white man, that he would not have written that in his column. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so There's no doubt. It, yeah. So it kind of jolted me. But what that does for me, and it's the way my parents were raised, is it just, that kind of adversity just fuels me. You know, I'll show you, buddy. I'll prove you wrong. I know what I'm doing. You know, throughout my entire career, Tracy, no matter what my resume says, and dare I say, it's quite an accomplished resume, but even still in 2020, (laughs) thank you, I'm still having to prove myself. So that jolted me for a bit, but I got to Scottsdale. I did my thing and I was very pleased with my first game. And full circle, this columnist and I are now uh, good friends. That's very, that's very funny. It's very funny how that happens. But so this podcast is very much for women who work in sports, uh, young women who want to work in sports. And so what advice would you have in terms of dealing with that kind of adversity and criticism, especially for someone who might not be so used to it, you know, coming right out of college, just starting out in their career? Yeah, I think it's really important to uh, surround yourself with a very strong support group of men and and women uh, in the industry that you can trust and that 
can be a sounding board. I know um, I've had a lot of men um, give me opportunities and really be supportive. My first program director in radio is still a great friend of mine and a mentor. Um, I would also encourage young women. There are there are so many resources available now that weren't available to me 20 years ago or 30 years ago in terms of networking groups and women in broadcasting groups and women in sports broadcasting groups, because we are in a club that is very unique and not not every woman in every industry can relate to what we're going mm-hmm. through. So I think it's important to make sure you have a strong support group and a strong um, a strong network of, of women and good girlfriends that, that you can reach out to. I know that's what has, has really been helpful for me throughout my career. And I often um, really, I commit myself to being that woman to all the young women that are, are coming after me because I didn't, I really didn't have anybody to go to. I had to figure this out all, my, all on my own. But, and, and then just to just remain confident in, in your abilities and your skills um, and to never stop learning. I mean, I, I'm going to be, when we finish, I'm going to be working hard on the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and, you know, knowing who we're going up against for these next two day, two games. And I'm always learning. I'm always researching. Um, I would also reach out to women that you admire in this field and you know, reach out for a conversation. Uh, maybe one day we'll get back to in-person uh, conversations. <laughs> but uh, I would, you know, reach out for an informational interview. I've done that throughout my career when I was shifting from radio to television. And more often than not, you know, these women are, are more than happy to share their experiences and give you guidance. So I would just say, say stay connected, stay connected to women in the business. And you said you did have a mentor uh, early on uh, that you still are close friends with. Would you mind sharing who that person is and kind of a couple of the things that they taught you in the beginning? His name is Dave Sholin. His radio handle was Dave the Duke Sholin, Mm -hmm. a legendary program director and personality here in San Francisco on 610KFRC, the Heritage Station. If you grew up in the Bay Area, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And he's the one that asked me to make him a demo tape. I was working in the public affairs department at the time. And he asked me to make him a demo tape uh, after I sang at the staff Christmas party one year. <laughs> and he put me on the air, you know, a couple of weeks later, you know, an overnight shift. He goes, you know, I, I really think you're talented. You're a diamond in the rough. I want to work with you. I want to give you this opportunity. And the first thing he said to me, which I still hear him, no matter if I'm doing a TV show if I'm doing a radio show or if I'm at the ballpark, um, he goes, he says, when you turn that microphone on, I want you to just imagine yourself in your living room with your family and friends and be your authentic self. He says, you know, listeners can tell when you're putting on a fake voice or you're putting on airs. Listeners can also sense when you're being your authentic self. And that has stayed with me and it has served me very well as I celebrate 20 years at the ballpark and a 35 year radio career. So I, you know, of course in sports, there are, you know, there are times when we have to, you know, turn on a a different voice perhaps, but just always have a nugget of your authentic self. And I've never forgotten that. And like I say, it's with me, the minute I turn on a microphone, there he is in my head saying, relax, be yourself, think yourself at home in your living room. I'm really glad you brought that up because it's something we talk about a lot on this podcast, the idea of being your authentic self and being you, that you can't be the next so-and-so. 
uh, you, you, there already is so-and-so. So you yeah. can't be the next Rennell. There already is Rennell and you're doing a great job of it. So it's important to be your authentic self. And something else we talk about, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is finding what is unique about you and really leaning into that. Is that something that you felt you did early on or that was that something that came later? Um, I would say it came later. I really had to, to kind of, uh, evolve, even though I had, you know, great, great mentoring and great advice. Um, just kind of finding my, my way of just being comfortable by putting my authentic self out there. And again, doing radio is completely different from sports broadcasting, hosting a morning radio show. I, you know, my life was an open book. Uh, you know, and, and now with social media, everybody's life is, true. is an open book. But for the most part, I think I have really, you know, stuck to my guns and been, been very true to myself. Um, I'm also a Virgo, Tracy, and that means that I'm super critical of myself. Uh, <laughs> I, I over-prepare for everything. I over-research everything. Um, so I think being a Virgo can sometimes be a blessing and a curse. I mean, nobody's more organized or more prepared than me. I, I, I defy anybody to be more organized or more prepared than me, but sometimes to a fault. Sometimes I spend so much time preparing that I haven't allowed myself to just, you know, to breathe and take a breath and, you know, like take a pause. I stay so focused in my work and I've learned over the years that I got to take at least five or 10 minutes and do some deep breathing. and and kind of just release everything and let it be. That was that was something I had to to learn. And how did you learn that? Was it just practice or yeah, it was practice and then also um uh becoming um uh a, a meditator. I'm not the I don't do meditation great. I still struggle mm-hmm. with it, you know, but I you know, I've been told over the years that if your mind wanders, that's normal. But mindfulness has been super key in me um, finding my focus, giving myself some relaxation, taking a break, and then also dealing with the stress and adversity of of uh, of my jobs and my super busy lifestyle. So that's something that came to me late in life, and I just recommend it for everybody. Even if even if you're sitting in the car and you have like a minute. If you're overwhelmed that day, if you have a minute at your stoplight, just take a few deep breaths and it, it really does wonders. I was like, at first I was like, come on, you got to be <laughs> kidding me, <laughs> but it really does work. So that's been really, really helpful to me in, in every aspect of my life. Going back to what you said about over-preparing, would you say though that you would obviously rather be over-prepared than under-prepared? And it's something that a, a number of our guests who you know are journalists have said Prepare, 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 prepare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you can't you can't do any job, but you especially can't do a job in sports without knowing your stuff, knowing your stats, knowing what happened in yesterday's game, knowing the players, and knowing the record. I mean, you 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 have got to. I over prepare as I think many of us do, because we oftentimes we don't even know what's going to be thrown at us sometimes during a live hit or something like that. So, um, and that's something that I've always told my, my mentees over the years is you, you really never stop learning. I also, I come uh, from parents who were educators. So that's just kind of innate in me to research and, and prepare. 
But I think for what we do, it's it's crucially important, especially since, you know, there are plenty of plenty of haters in the audience, even in 2020, that are just waiting for a woman to mess up, you know, so they can jump on us on social media or whatever. Something I didn't have to deal with early on in my career, I'm happy to say. But the, the scrutiny that we still face, you know, this in 2020, um, it, it just hasn't changed. In fact, I would, I would venture to say it's, it's gotten worse because of social media. Well, it's it's funny. It's something I said actually recently to my team. Like we we just can't afford to make mistakes because if we make mistakes, those girls don't know what they're talking about. And we just, you know, we don't have that luxury. And listen, we're all human and we make mistakes. But when it comes to being prepared and knowing what's going on, yeah, we do have to be even more on top of it. Yeah, it's- uh, it's not fair, but it it I mean it it is what it is. Hate to say it, that, but <laughs> but it, it is. is but it is. it is it is what it is. You're not you're not wrong at all. Um, <laughs> you've you've brought up social media, and so I would love to just kind of get your thoughts on how you've navigated that. As you said, it wasn't something you had to deal with early on in your career, but now that it's something we all have to deal with, how do you navigate that? How do you? if you do, and if you can kind of turn off the haters and put that aside when you need to. Yeah. Well, I have definitely dealt with haters my whole career, but now, you know, they're, they are courageous behind a keyboard and, you know, it, and, and, you know, I, I have gotten a lot better at it. I mean, you know, I, and also being the Virgo, I feel like I need to respond to everybody and you don't have to do that. (laughs) You Mm -hmm, certainly mm -hmm. don't have to do that. Um, And, you know, I did have, I had some racist stuff come my way. I've had criticism before, but it's never come, you know, with racism. I mean, not the overt racism in a tweet, you know, Mm -hmm, you know, it's been mm kind of backhanded before. So, and that was, that was really, that really kind of jolted me and, and just really threw me. And so I've, I've just, again, had to, had to realize and learn that I get more love on social media than I do hate. And to focus on that, just to, to give myself a social media break every now and then. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a young colleague that also helps me with it. So, so that takes some of the pressure off. She, you know, she knows me, she knows what I want to say, what I, how I respond. So she, she takes it over for me for a little bit. Um, we just can't be consumed with it. We have enough to focus on to just get through the day and do our jobs as professionally as we can. So I, I would definitely encourage, you know, taking breaks from it and just don't read, don't read the stuff. Just don't read the stuff. It's just so toxic and it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time to read it and then you end up, you know, feeling bad about yourself or whatever. It's a waste of your time and energy. So be gentle with yourself on social media, I guess would be my advice. I think that's great advice. And, you know, if you feel comfortable talking about it, how did you deal with the racism that came across? Because you're right, someone behind a keyboard feels a lot more empowered to say something horrible than if they're talking to you face to face. So how were you able to kind of deal with that and handle that. Yeah, well, I, I, I engaged, which I would not recommend anybody to do anymore, <laughs> but I was just so shocking to me. And my first reaction was, you know, to engage. And 
that's why I say I've learned over the years, you know, to, that's where the mindfulness comes in. Take a step back, take a deep breath. Do you really want to engage with this individual? You're not going to change this person's mind. It's a waste of your time and, and your energy again. So um, I just, I either block them. If I feel like I want to engage and think that I, you know, that it's not a losing battle, maybe I will, but that's very rare. But I just, I just block them and move on now. That's the, for me, that's the healthiest thing to do. I think that makes a lot of sense. You had mentioned, obviously, the that comment in the column early on that was unfair before you ever took your first your first uh, <laughs> moment of being the PA announcer. But can you think back on a criticism you received when you were starting your career that, though tough to take at the time, really helped to improve uh, your professional life today? Well, in terms of my sports career, that that one stays stays with me. I, you know, I have to say, I was very fortunate. Um, my radio career began on air in in 1985, and it was kind of a lightning in the bottle situation. I was kind of in the right place at the right time um, for for the culture and the music that was happening at that time, and things that were going on, um, you know, socially here in the Bay Area and around the country. So I. I, I didn't ask for it, but, but I kind of became a, um, you know, community spokesperson and a, and a, a community activist, tr- truly, which, which I still am today, because I just realized that, you know, the microphone is a very, very powerful tool. And I had no idea um, how powerful it was once I first got my on-air job. And I remember um, getting a letter from a middle schooler um, asking me to come speak at her career day. And that's when it hit me that the power of this microphone. And I realized, oh, this, this little girl sees in me, you know, possibilities for her future of what she could do. And when Mm -hmm. I was little, there were no women, certainly no women of color on the radio, on television, and certainly not in sports. So I've just been very fortunate that I've been looked at uh, throughout my career as a a pioneer and and a trailblazer and also the listening audience also knew that I, you know, grew up here in the Bay Area. So there was a real kind of sense of familiarity with me. So I, I have to say I was really embraced and, um, and had so many wonderful program directors just keep taking a chance on me. I mean, I went from the mid, the overnight shift to the midday shift to the morning show. And with that came a lot of, of other opportunities. A lot of the, a lot of me being in the right place at the right time. So my radio career was really early on. Um, you know, my my colleagues and I from from those days, we talk about it all the time. How we're like, we knew it was something special that we would never experience again, and and we were right. So years later, uh, as the industry changed, um, then I I had to deal with a lot a lot more adversity. But um, it's not a real criticism everything was so loose back then uh mm-hmm. you know we could do whatever we wanted on the radio then and and that became challenging when it started to change and i'm dealing with you know younger program directors than me and who are less experienced and you know we you know there'd be some uh gentle butting of the heads from time to time but i've been really really fortunate and really blessed that i've been been really really embraced uh early on this season obviously is very different than seasons past uh your interactions with the fans are obviously non-existent. 
Can you talk a little bit about how you've been able to pivot and navigate it? And has it has it changed the way you prepare or, you know, get ready for game day? Oh, no question, because my my in-game duties are are, you know, they're few and far between. Um, since we don't have any fans in the stands, there are no PA reads or announcements for me to make. Um uh and then of course missing the energy of the fans during the game because I often let them feed my energy and my delivery throughout the game. Uh, so I really miss them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I would usually get to the ballpark three hours before first pitch because there'd be scripts to go over and lots to prepare for in a production meeting. Uh, sometimes I would have voiceover work to do for videos that were going to run in game. I mean, all of that is gone. And so I show up to the ballpark much later, which is so weird for me. <laughs> so weird because I feel like I should be, I, there's things I should be doing right now that, I, that I'm not doing. Um, so the preparation is like, it's very, very minimal now. Um, and uh, you would think it would be weird announcing in an empty ballpark, but oddly enough, it, it really, it really isn't. I remember before the season started, we we did kind of a dress rehearsal for an intra squad game one night, and I was thinking how how odd that was going to be. But you know, myself and the crew, we took our seats, and we it was like we were in mid season form. You know, we mm-hmm. were laughing, having fun, and you know, it was just how it always is. And you know, I will never get tired of hearing my voice on on the PA system at that ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> I will never get tired of that, and now I I can just hear it so so clearly now. But I'm telling you, when I turn on the microphone, that's just that is my happy place. There's no question about it. Again, whether it's on the radio, uh, whether it's uh, on camera doing TV work, um, but it I miss the fans. That's been a big adjustment. Even. Even just the routine of walking into the ballpark, Tracy, is so different because mm-hmm. I can't park where I would normally park. I can't enter the way I would normally enter. Um, and walking, walk, taking the elevator up to the club level. Oh, lest we not forget, I got have to get my temperature taken before I enter. That's right. 2020, you know. Um, but then just walking that club level and, you know, seeing the um, empty concession stands. And, you know, that used to be part of my, you know, my routine i would say hi to all the concession workers and you know we'd high five and stuff and or they heard something i said on my morning show and we'd talk about it and just that camaraderie and that energy i i miss that so it's just a just a very solemn sad walk on an empty club level and it looks quite honestly like a science fiction movie it's very very eerie it's very eerie so those are so those are the things that are are different but in terms of you know, welcome to Oracle Park. When I make that first announcement, it, I'm I'm at home. It feels it feels very normal in what is a very abnormal situation. I imagine for the players, it gives them some sense of normalcy as well, uh, and maybe makes them feel a little bit more like game day. Obviously, they're professionals, and and this is what they do. But I imagine it's been very different for them as well. Yeah, and I, I I hope that it is helping them as well. I mean, we play their walk-up music. I give them the same energy I would during during any other game. 
And what I have learned working this closely in baseball for 20 years is that they do, you know, they have their quirks and their idiosyncrasies and their suspicious, you know, superstitions. And they also have, uh, you know, a rhythm uh, and a mental rhythm that they get into before the game, which I don't think people understand, which, you know, I often have to take into consideration during announcing as well. And um, so I'm just hoping that that keeps them, you know, mentally focused and and is helping them out in what is, I can't even imagine how challenging it is for them. So you've been with the Giants for 20 years, as we've said, and you've seen some rather incredible Giants seasons. Um, I want to ask your most epic work memory to date, but I feel like you may have a few. So can you share those with us? Yeah, I, I do have a few. Um, well, obviously the Bond single season home run chase, that was amazing to be on the mic for that. And then of course, when he broke the home run record, um, every Bonds at bat during those runs were just epic in terms of the energy in the ballpark, which I doubt that I'll ever experience that again. You know, everybody's mm-hmm. on their feet, every at bat, the cameras are out. Um, oftentimes I don't even think you could hear my voice on the PA because the roar of the crowd was so loud and so powerful. Um, it was really a privilege to be on the mic for that. Obviously the three world series seasons, uh, those were amazing. Um, but one of my most favorite, uh, moments and memories is when we hosted the 2007 all-star game. And uh, I was able to be a part of a lot of those festivities for that weekend. I was the sideline reporter for the Futures game and the Celebrity All-Star game and uh, got to hang out with like Ernie Banks, Ozzie Smith, Jimmy Kimmel. It was just, (laughs) it was insane and got to go to Barry Bonds' All-Star party and yeah, I got to meet Derek Jeter. He kissed me on my cheek, which I love sharing that story. And I didn't want to ever wash my cheek again. And and talking to Ryan Howard and David Ortiz came up and started speaking to me in Spanish. He thought I was Dominican, and it was just wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so that was in the, that was an amazing weekend. And the other thing too is I've been so privileged to meet so many of my baseball icons and heroes in these twenty years, from you know Mark Grace and Keith Hernandez to to Lou Brock and it's just it's just been extraordinary and those are the things I I never imagined would come with this job that's the icing on the cake so I'm going to switch gears a little bit before we do day in the life because I definitely you talked about it a little bit but I would love to hear what your day in the life was like before and then day in the life now uh, on game day but a couple of things I want to ask first as you look at women coming into the sports industry today is there a common misstep that you see or a common mistake that you see being made um i i wouldn't say it's necessarily common but i i i guess i would say i've seen it more than i would prefer to um how do i say this delicately um uh, first of all, we need to be more supportive and less competitive. Um, I'm really tired of seeing the competition amongst women in sports. And same thing when I was in my radio career. My, I've always said that we have enough to battle against. We should not be battling against each other. So that lack of support of other women is something that disappoints me. And then 
um, still there are women that, uh, I don't want to say use their sexuality, but use their femininity to, um, to maybe grab and, and interview or, you know, their, or, 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 or perhaps establishing what I would call inappropriate, you know, friendships or relationships with, with players or even front office staff to maybe get an edge. And that's really disappointing to me. And it makes it harder for all the rest of us that are trying to play by the rules and uh, do things by the book. So, and again, I haven't seen it a lot. Uh, I have a lot of wonderful colleagues um, over the years. Uh, Amy G and I are very, very close at the Giants and and uh, Carmen Q and Allie Williams, two of our young women that have uh, that have come on board in the last uh, few years doing radio with Marty Lurie. And um, uh, I reached out to Amelia who found herself on the mic uh, across the bay uh, with the A's after Dick Callahan, the PA announcer had to opt out because of medical reasons. And, you know, she's the manager of the entertainment department. And she was like, well, I guess I got to do this. We can't bring anybody else, you know, into the ballpark because access is limited. So I made sure I reached out to her and told her I was listening and she was doing great. And if she had any questions or anything to always reach out to me. So I would like to see more of that and less of that, you know, that old school mentality that, that makes it harder for all of us women in this business, if that makes sense. It does. It does absolutely make sense. And somewhat along those lines, how have you seen opportunities grow for women over the years in the sports industry? And how do you think we can still improve upon that? Oh, my goodness. I've, I've been delighted. I mean, I was the only woman in our entertainment department when, when uh, I started in 2000. I mean, we didn't even have excuse me, a, a female editor in the control room or a, a female camera woman, <clears throat> excuse me, all of these opportunities I have seen grow in the, in the last 20 years. And another thing that was not around when I was starting out in the late eighties, early nineties, working for the Oakland A's is there, you know, all the, the, um, the online opportunities and the websites that you can work for and write for and the, all of the cable networks. I mean, it, when I started, it was ESPN and Sports Channel out here locally. And now there are so many more opportunities for women in sports broadcasting. Um, I would also say we need to, I always encourage women, don't just focus on being in front of the camera or on the microphone. We need more women behind the camera so that our representation is is properly um, is properly shown. You know, we need more women in management at these websites and at these cable stations and you know in the newsrooms. Or you know, uh, we need more women there making decisions, which is going to provide more opportunities for women. Um, but certainly, we need more women uh, in management in the front office, which is also going to help determine the opportunities for women in sports. So. Uh, I often encourage, you know, my young, my young mentees, you know, again, grab as many skills as you can. Of course, you, you want to be on camera or, or on the mic or on radio or, but, you know, and especially these days, you have to be able to do everything. You've got to be able to write your own pieces. Sometimes you got to film your own pieces. So arm yourself with as many skills as you can, but also think about what you can do behind the camera to, um, to progress um, uh, the state of women in sports. I'm really glad you said that. That's such an important part of it uh, and such a big part of, I think, opportunities growing for women that we do need people behind the cameras in management in the front office. So I'm really, really glad uh, you brought that up because 
The other thing with this podcast is I always want women to know there are so many opportunities for working in sports. Uh, exactly. It could be it could be broadcasting. It could be behind the camera. There's so many opportunities. So find one, like find what your skill set is, find what you love, and then find the opportunity that really fits best for you. Uh, so I'm I'm very glad you brought that up. Thank you very much. I could uh, so, agree with you more. <laughs> well, excellent, excellent, excellent. So you you touched on it earlier uh, in terms of obviously the difference in getting to the ballpark and that type of thing. But if you're open to discussing it, I would love to get kind of a day in the life of Rennell Brooks Moon. Well, let's see where to begin. Every day is a different one. <laughs> like today I got up, did my morning meditation, got my workout in, and then I had to do a radio hit uh, on behalf of the uh, the giant race this year. I'm an ambassador for that this year. Uh, and then I had to go to the ballpark and take my COVID test, which I have to do every Wednesday. Uh, then I came home and grabbed a little light breakfast and had my coffee and prepared to talk to you, Tracy. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and once uh, we wrap, I will be doing uh, my my social media, the first part of the day of social media, which uh, since I am an ambassador for the race, I'm going to be posting um, pictures of my workout and, you know, motivational um, sayings and the motivation that I get from my mindfulness and sharing that and just encouraging our, our runners um, as they prepare for the giant race. So I'll be doing that. Uh, and then I will prepare my dinner that I, I always brought my meal to the ballpark even before COVID because we, we have no press dining. We have no access to anything there anymore. Um, uh, but I've always brought my own meals to make sure that I stay um on my Weight Watchers program, which I'm a proud member of Weight Watchers. All so right. I whip up my salad and cut up my lemon for my tea that I have two hours before first pitch. Uh, lay out my outfit. I have a checklist on my door, my dressing room, to make sure I'm taking everything with me to the ballpark, my ID badge, my parking pass, my water, my tea, my lemon, my meal, my phone charger, my iPad. Make sure I, it's like packing my backpack for school. Make sure I have all my school supplies. Uh, and then I have to be at the ballpark today at four. It's a 645 okay. first pitch to have a meeting with uh, the head of our entertainment department. He and I are going to decompress over um, uh what we did at the ballpark this weekend, think about ways we can change it, improve it. And then about an hour after that, about 5.30, we have our production meeting with our director, um, which, you know, again, doesn't really involve me because I don't have a lot of in-game duties anymore, but the crew will go over the videos that are going to air because we still do play videos. Um, uh, we play a, a, a video before the team takes the field and we play a video between the starting lineups. After I do the visitors, we go into our our uh, our home uh, video. Um, there are some MLB videos that we air during the game. So the production crew, you know, goes through the videos, make sure that they're correct, check the timing of them, and you know, we just kind of go over inning by inning um, and make sure everybody's on the same page and what instructions the DJ needs or the audio engineer and you know, how this video is going to play. So we have a production meeting. It'll be time to have my tea and have my dinner. And then let's see, 6.45 first pitch means a 6.33 welcome. So at 6.33 tonight, Tracy, I will be saying good evening and welcome to Oracle Park, the home of your 2020 San Francisco Giants. 
That is fantastic. And then it is game time. I actually have a question that I've been wondering all season when I'm watching baseball games on TV. Does anybody sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game? Um, I, I do. With, I haven't done it. Okay. I, I haven't done it yet this season. But, but I, I meant like without without the fans. Is there anybody in the ballpark doing it or it's just we're going no. from the top of the seventh to the bottom? Okay. No, no, we do. We break and we have like a recorded organ version of it. So we still play that. Absolutely. Okay, we great. St- yeah, everybody still plays a seventh inning stretch. You know, we do the tr- traditional things, you know, obviously the anthem. Uh, we don't do the first pitch anymore unless it's a special occasion day, you know, and that's it's all virtual. Uh, the anthems are pre-recorded. We've had people submit their their uh, recording. So we do the anthem. We do um, and we do the seventh inning stretch. I do final totals at the end of the night, even though there's nobody there to hear them. But <laughs> There are a few protocols that are still in place. Well, it keeps you in good practice. Eventually, eventually it'll be back to normal. So yes, it definitely will keep you in good practice. Yes. This has been awesome. Uh, But before I let you go, we have to come to my favorite part of every episode. Uh, For you who may not know this and for anybody listening for the first time, Five Fun Facts was born uh, with me doing it. With I do it with the players on the 49ers, and we do a Five Fun Facts, and they get to share a little about themselves. But at the end of every episode, we ask our guests the same question. So if you are ready, we All right. will Let's go. Going. Let's do it. And with that, I present Five Fun Facts. All right, Renell, what is your favorite moment in sports? Okay, my favorite moment in sports, remember, I was born in Oakland, but I'm a Bay Area (laughs) girl. I grew up rooting for both the Giants and the A's, but this actually is Reggie Jackson as a New York Yankee when he hit three home runs in the World Series in 1977. I was a sophomore in college, uh, and I was watching it in my dorm room, and none of the other Nobody else, none of the other women in my dorm were interested in baseball or the World Series. And I called my parents after each and every home run because <laughs> I was like, I love me some Mr. October. So that is probably one of my all-time favorite moments. That would be hard to beat. Exactly. That would be hard to beat yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what is your life motto? Oh, that that's easy. Um, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated. What is your go-to workout? Well, when I when the gym was open, I <laughs> that would be first thing in the morning after meditation, get 30 minutes of cardio in, and then I would do about 45 to an hour of weightlifting and then 20-minute abs. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I, yeah it's pretty, it pretty hardcore. That hasn't happened since February. Right. So, so now I try to get a, a good power walk in. I'll walk with the husband in the afternoon or I'll um, – try and get like a three mile run in, come home and do weights here at home and, and abs. But I've been, um, I got really into weightlifting probably like 30 years ago. It actually started. Yeah. When I, when my husband and I got married, I, I started working with a trainer before the wedding. Cause I was, it was like, Hey, I'm coming down the aisle and I want to look good. Totally and, fair. Yeah. So I've been working with trainers ever since. So, and I, and I love my, my gym workouts in particular, because I can, it's for me, it's also stress release. It sh- I can just release everything with those weights or on the machines. And I, and I, and I really miss that. I miss that and the, and the camaraderie and, you know, all my friends at the gym too, but 
It's it's a big part of my life. Do you have a go-to coffee order? I'm not, I keep it really old school with the coffee. I, I don't do, you know, the triple things with the soy and all the things that the kids do. Um, <laughs> but, but if I am going to uh, splurge, um, especially now that I'm home in the morning, I'm not, you know, going anywhere to get my coffee. Uh, if I am going to splurge, I will take a skinny vanilla latte. Sounds delicious. And last but not least, do you have a book every woman should read? Yeah, I actually actually have two. Um, anything by Nora Ephron, who's mm-hmm. a genius, but particularly the um, the the last one I think she wrote called "I Feel Bad About My Neck," which is <laughs> which is a wonderful humorous journey through aging and um, you know it's things you wish you had known a little earlier in your life. It's it's genius. And then the other one is Gabrielle Union's book. Um, We're going to need more wine. And, okay. you know, even though, you know, she's a big Hollywood superstar, um, she's been through great adversity in her life. And, um, and it's, it's really a universal message for all women and how we can, how we can overcome adversity and, and just be of strong mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much, Ronell. This was so much fun. I loved talking to you today. Um, If you guys like what you heard, and I know that you did, don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Ronell, thank you again. Thank you, Tracy. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And everybody else will talk to you next week. Bye, all. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.